Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. (laughs) Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Daisy McAndrew uh, is here with me. We've been commemorating uh, the first anniversary of that dreadful uh, Grenfell Tower fire last year, uh, which happened in the middle of the night. 72 people uh, perished and, of course, many, many more uh, were left homeless. Over 200 people still uh, out there waiting to be rehoused. Lots and lots more for us to do today, though. The World Cup, of course, gets underway and we're going to go live to Mark Saggers from TalkSport in Russia very, very, very shortly. Uh, we're also going to take your calls as well, Three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We're going to talk uh, about the dangers of Fortnite and some other video games which are grasping our teenagers and taking them away from us for hours at a time. Lots, lots more to talk about, of course. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've all been frantically sort of uh, scurrying around trying to find wall charts to put up on the wall for our kids and for our husbands I and wives and chart. various people who want to follow the World Cup because no matter whether you're a football fan or not, the World Cup's a massive, massive sporting event, as big as the Olympics, if not bigger in some ways. And, of course, Talk Sport, our sister station, is all over it like a rash, as you can imagine. A whole team of people have gone out to Russia, many of them in Moscow, in other parts as well. Mark Sagas leading the charge, of course, as ever, uh, joins us now. Mark, a very, very good morning to you. Hi there, how are you guys? Yeah, very well indeed. How's Russia? How are you getting on? It's very good. It's fantastic. I've only been in Moscow so far, but uh, really enjoying it actually. Uh, the Red Square was closed yesterday. Uh-huh. Pavarotti wouldn't let anybody in before he, he did something last right. night. Or okay. Was, so, so, so a very nice uh, sort of welcome from, from the Russians, because it's not the greatest time uh, for a Brit to visit the Russian Republic, is it? Actually, they've been wonderful. Terrific hosts so far, and it's going to get even better when we go to some of the uh, far-flung areas Mm. of this European side of Russia, which is over three time zones they're using for this World Cup. But uh, here in the the centre of Russia, where I'm 20 minutes or so away from making my way to the stadium this afternoon uh, for the opening ceremony, which you'll be able to hear live on TalkSport, it's uh, the best opening ceremony I will ever be to because they've basically cut it. (laughs) <laughs> Five Robbie Williams songs, a few Moscow Circus trapeze artists, right. and then a two-minute speech from Vladimir Putin. That sounds perfect, doesn't it? So, so they're not doing it to, for hours and hours and hours on end. But and then the opening game is is Russia against Saudi Arabia. Um, without getting too anarchy about the football, uh, tell us what you're expecting. Is it going to be an exciting opening game? 
Um, I think it will be because they're the two worst sides in the whole tournament. <laughs> so it's bound to be great then. There's going to be loads of goals there. Uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia both absolutely need something out of this game, particularly Russia, of course, being the hosts. They've got Egypt and Uruguay in the same group. It's not going to be uh, easy for either of them. But the Luzhniki Stadium, which has uh, been redeveloped in uh, 2017 since uh, the great old... Uh, stadium that it was uh, is going to be something special it's going to be a full house there and live commentary with all the games as always on talk sport but something more than that really here as well it's uh, it's been as as you mentioned there the political climate something very different mm. but um, Vladimir Putin is absolutely um, determined to make sure that uh, the best side yeah. of Russia is seen throughout. One of the things we haven't really been able to work out too well from, from, from this far away is how many England fans are actually out there. Have you seen many, Mark? Haven't seen many here, but wouldn't expect to see too many here because uh, their first game uh, is on Monday and uh, it's outside Moscow and uh, uh, they will probably travel straight to that game. Mm. But uh, we, we make our way there to Volgograd uh, for Sunday for Monday. Uh, I think they've sold plenty of tickets, 30,000 or so. There's uh, 1,500 who've uh, had to uh, already give up their passports because they've been hooligans in the past and all but 58 of them, I believe, have handed them in. So none of those will be travelling. But uh, it should be friendly. It's been very friendly so far. I mean, there are there are loads of Peruvians really? in Moscow. Nearly as many Argentinians um, and uh, plenty from Iceland as well. And they've all been meeting together around the streets of Red Square and uh, having a right old sing-song. And it's, uh, it's been uh, pretty special. Last night, of course, um, a lot more of the, the big names jetted into town. And uh, Robbie Williams has been staying in St. Petersburg uh, before he makes his way down here. But we've had a couple of rehearsals and everything, and it, it, it all looks as if it's going to go as it should do. Of course, uh, I don't know who else is going to turn up from around the world. I'm, but I, I think the, um, the Saudi Arabian uh, prince will be here, Mohammed bin Salman. I think, actually, uh, he's here to have a, a wonderful day today and then talk oil with uh, Putin tomorrow because, of course, they're deciding how much oil should be returned yes. uh, after OPEC's uh, vital meeting next week. So I think we all know it. which one is probably more more important at the end of the day, but certainly not for fans. Uh, Mark, I was just wondering, yeah. we know that the the players have had a lot of advice on how to behave and also on yes. you know, how to stay safe, both electronically um, and, and literally. And I've seen that the fans have had quite a lot of advice on uh, you know cultural differences and so on. What sort of advice have you been getting and have you spotted these? You know, I've been very amused by the Russians saying, please don't be offended if we don't smile at yeah. you. It's just who of we course, are. I mean, Talk Sport being the organisation that it is, I'm sure they would have had their cultural attache give you uh, <laughs> yeah. loads of advice, Mark, right? Dottie, you, you, you have, I mean, the Talk Sport on tour is, um, um, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a happening all of its own. We had death threats in Ukraine anyway because uh, uh, one of our number had uh, That was just from Stan Collywell, wasn't it? And uh, no, well, it was uh, more than that. It wasn't anything to do with it, actually, on this occasion. I'm not getting involved in that one. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we, we've had all sorts uh, over the time. And, uh, you, you know, you take your, your life into your own hands. No, really with this, uh, it has been fantastic here in Moscow. It's going to be great elsewhere. You've just got to look after yourself mm. as you do normally. I mean, you travel um, 15,000 security and police at every single game. That sounds so like a lot. <laughs> And it's, it is a lot. And add to that, add to that. As long as you don't drape the St. George's flag over one of their major um, military uh, 
statues mm. or memorials, then you're going to be okay. And as long as you, you don't do stupid things in uh, open places. But uh, it's all about behaving properly. They have already been uh, very forthcoming. I mean, take with all of the fans. They're making a lot of noise, a lot of partying going on. And uh, they've taken a back seat. But, sh but having said that, we were in uh, where I'm sitting now in our hotel bar the other night. And there was uh, a real flashpoint later on between some of the Moscovites and uh, glasses were thrown and a knife was pulled and the security guards were in straight away. So, um, you know, you've just got to watch it, but it's, uh, it's no different to any major city, I wouldn't have thought, unless you want to go at the wrong time of night into the wrong areas. Yes, yeah. that's, that's your own fault. No, indeed. And as far as uh, the, uh, the football and the commentaries and all of that, all of them on TalkSport and TalkSport 2, of course, can we expect yeah. as important uh, a piece of audio as we all remember you giving us from South Africa <laughs> and that Frank Lampard goal that wasn't? Well, I had the it's a goal, which uh, I actually, I'm going to claim a little bit of why we've now got goal line check technology on that one. I've had are you FIFA, uh, <laughs> ranted at the FIFA boys and then ranted and got rid of Roy Hodgson and Wayne Rooney after uh, what happened in Iceland, <laughs> yes. of course, at the last Euros. Right. But um, I'm not a great ranter. I just pick my moments and uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. It depends what takes me where and when and who has come under the spotlight. This England side are a decent side. They're a great squad together. Can't wait to see them get underway next uh, Monday night. Before that, I've got Argentina and Iceland as part of our games. Portugal against Spain tomorrow night That'll is going to be, be a, a one, right yeah. old dust-up mm. in Sochi. And uh, there's some other magnificent moments. But, uh, you know, we, we, we always worry, don't we, about the threats of uh, uh, what happens if you're a player or a manager or anything like that out here. I mean, there's uh, one, one of the... Um, one of the South American uh, sides, uh, Hernan uh, Darío uh, Gomez, who is the uh, he's the Panama coach who take on England. Now he's not going to worry about anything. Um, he was shot in the leg over his squad selection when he was manager of <laughs> really? Ecuador. So, you know, ha ha hardly a few English uh, journalists telling him he's a lot right. of rubbish are going to worry him at all. The other thing I must tell you about. Um, in the press conference with the Russian coach yesterday, it was a great moment. Young James Dodd, who um, uh, worked for us before escaping to yes. Australia to work for Fox uh, uh, Sports News down there. He's come back to join us at this World Cup. Keep an eye on the Socceroos. But yesterday he asked his first question of the Russian coach at, a pro at uh, his first uh, press conference here in Moscow. And you have to state who you are. So he's, he stood up proudly, our young, good-looking, handsome young man, and said, uh, James Dodd from England, to which the Russian coach <laughs> thought he'd said, James Bond. <laughs> Brilliant. Shaken, so, uh, not stirred. That's been, that's been reported in he the... Does, so, he does know, bear a striking resemblance love. to Daniel Craig, actually, so I can imagine why he thought that. He absolutely does. He does. He, he does. And, and look, from all of us, from Russia with love, look, anything you need to know at any stage, we'll keep you right up to date. We should have some fun as well as some great fun. We will. And, and you were in Brazil, of course, for the last World Cup, which was a miserable affair, where England were out long before yeah. Germany had even played their second oh. game. So you'd have, you'd have to hope they'll do better this time, wouldn't you? Um, I'm expecting England to do well. I'm expecting to at least beat Tunisia and Panama to get through, uh, possibly as uh, leaders of the group against Belgium. We don't want to go over the top. The last 16, it could either be uh, Colombia or Poland. There's an opportunity to win that one. Then it gets a little tougher. But by the time you get to the last eight, anything could happen. Mm. Gareth Southgate is not just thinking about this World Cup. He's looking forward. He's got a great young side. And, and uh, they are as one. There's no doubt about that. And as long as they don't leave anything out there, I don't think we can ask for anything more of them this time Fantastic. around. Fantastic. Well, listen, Mark, have a wonderful time. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you plenty uh, over the course of the next several weeks over in Russia. Mark Sager's head 
heading up the uh, the squad of TalkSport uh, people out there. And as he said, um, he has been known to uh, do a little bit of ranting. And I think in order to pay some homage to Mr Saggers, uh, for those who have never heard this, have a listen to this. Come on! Come on! Yes! Yes! It's a goal! 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 It's a It's a goal! Boo! Boo! It's a goal! It's a goal! Uh, that was shortly after it was declared to be not a goal, yes. of course. Uh, the famous Frank Lampard goal against Germany, which hit the crossbar. To, we had to cut out there. Well, yes, because later on he starts to uh, to get quite abusive of the the referee. Uh, and indeed, as he said, the goal line technology was brought in partly as a result of that yeah. of that mistake. Yes. But I'm sure partly to stop him from ever doing that again. Turning the air blue. What a fantastic uh, piece of audio that is. And, and You so, can hear the disbelief yeah. in going on. He's like, it's a goal. <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's talk to Dr. Mark Griffiths now, who's Professor of Behavioural Addiction uh, at Nottingham Trent University. Dr. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. I mean, uh, Fortnite is a massively kind of clever uh, and fiendishly cunning game, isn't it? Because not only do people get signed up to it because it's free, but it then kind of sucks you in to spend money uh, that you may not have. Uh, well, obviously not everybody's spending money. My youngest son, he's a massive Fortnite player. And I think for, for him, the, the real kind of uh, pull for him is he plays along with three of his school friends. Yeah. And the fact that the games are so short, you know, it's basically a 20-minute game. And if you want to play more games, which often a lot of kids do, they'll go on to do that. And I think, obviously, in terms of my area of addiction, I would stress to all parents out there, very few children are genuinely addicted to playing video games in general, not just talking about Fortnite. But, right. of course, 
games are designed. I mean, you don't spend millions of pounds, de- uh, you know, developing a game for people to pick it up and put it down three minutes later. The whole point about games is they tend to be engrossing, they tend to be fun and enjoyable, and of course, people have have re- you know repeated play. But of course, as parents, particularly for younger children, you may have heard about a case earlier in the week of supposedly a nine-year-old girl was kind of playing through the night. That is actually more about parental responsibility. Sure. Yeah, I mean, any parent, and at the moment my youngest son is doing his A-level mocks, so what we've done, we've actually taken, it, we've actually taken his console away at the moment, and he's, he realises why we're doing that, just for this period while he's revising, uh, but of course, as soon as the exams are over, he'll go back to doing what he, what he does, and it's not that he was playing a lot, you know, my son is, you know, very clever kid, plays, you know, plays soccer and hockey, so very sporty, active, has a lot of friends, does his chores around the house. As long as all those things are done, I'm actually quite relaxed about the amount of playing they're doing, because I don't know about you, but when I was his age, I used to spend three or four hours watching black and white TV and three channels with my, with my parents. <laughs> and of course, kids today, in my three screen ages, they don't play, well, sorry, they don't uh, watch TV at all, particularly. Yeah. No, YouTube no, I know. I mean, that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what you're saying there, um, uh, Mark. But of course, the other problem is, is that it's not about necessarily you know, either letting them do when play when they want, or stopping them from playing through the night and all that kind of thing. But I mean, isn't there a, a risk with all of these things that if they do it too much? I mean, my my kind of yardstick is always if they're getting grumpy when you're asking them to stop, then it means they're playing it too much. Uh, well, that, that, I mean, that's a good point. I get lots of emails from parents saying whenever I kind of told my children to stop, they have temper tantrums, mm. etc. What we did with, again, I'll use my youngest son as an example, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but if, you're, if you really enjoy something and suddenly somebody just says, right, you've got to stop that now, you'd probably feel you know, anxious and frustrated. So what we did with our kids, we'd say to them, right, and I'll just name my youngest son here, Lucas, we'd say, Lucas, you've now got half an hour left yeah. on this, 15 minutes left, five minutes, one minute, and the temper tantrums almost disappeared. Right. Uh, and also, I mean, I think the other thing is that the thing about games, of course, is when you say to kids, right, you can only play for an hour, is that they'll play and they don't realise they played an hour. It might just feel like, you know, 20 minutes or mm. so uh, because, you know, time flies really fast when, when you're playing on these activities. But parents say, even with, you know, say my youngest child is 16, even with those who are now, you know, going into their mid to late teens, is as parents, you still, if they're living in your house, you still have control over what they do, particularly with things like consoles. It's much harder, obviously, with mobile phones. You know, and you know, I have to be, to be honest, trying to prize my mobile phone from my daughter. You know, it's like you'd obviously have to kind of surgically remove it, really, <laughs> because that's how teenagers are today, and we have to realise that's how they live their lives. And again, I think a lot of parents pathologise their children's behaviour, particularly because they don't do it themselves. But I was one of those parents. I was brought up. You know, I used to play Donkey Kong on my dad's Commodore 64 when I was my son's age, and I used to play for, I suppose, you know, play excessively, but it didn't turn me into somebody who was addicted. To, to playing video games. Obviously. Well, it got you. A, it got you a living, didn't it? I mean, you've now yeah, turned yeah, into yeah, an expert on addiction. My, my nerves. And in fact, that's <laughs> you know, you also find a lot of kids today who play a lot of video games. And one of my case studies that I published is now works in the computer game industry. Right. Met his wife within the game that he was playing. I mean, that that that's it. I mean, you know, for some people, this is this is something that's very important in their life. But I'd say for the vast majority of people, it's not something we have to worry about. However. There are, you know, the thing about games, even if children aren't genuinely addictive, it is something that can take away time from uh, education or physical education, and those two things are very important. Yeah. But, of course, they're not the be-all and end-all, and kids, you know, and I think Fortnite, again, is actually a very social game. I listen to my son chatting to his yeah. friends while he's playing Fortnite, you know, you know, and, you know, and I think, again, it's a different way, uh, uh, you know, kind of different kind of sociality to, to what we had when we were growing up. I think that's one of the issues, uh, Mark, that, that that I've been grappling with, because when, I mean, fun 
funnily enough, it's my daughter who's really addicted to Fortnite. And I think it's because of the, the social element of it. Because at school, she will say to, you know, a group of friends who she's been chatting to in the playground, mm. you know, they'll make a rendezvous to play a game at right. a certain time. And yeah. then if I stop her doing that, I feel like such a party pooper yeah. because she knows this is going on without her and that she could be a part of it. Sure. And, but this the shouting that's going on, you know, they've got these little monitors and I'm like, yeah, stop yeah. shouting. But Mark, when, how do, I really appreciate what you were saying that most of us are pathologising our, our well, children. You, you just used, uh, Daisy, you just said, you know, my daughter's really addicted to it and my guess is she's not actually. Yes, and I was just about to say, what is that? I that, that. That, was, that, that was lazy. What is the addiction? What, what is the definition of addiction okay, right. with, so with gaming? If parents want to know whether their kids are really addicted to a video game, and I have six criteria. So the first one, is this, the, is this game the single most important thing in that person's life? Probably, that's probably yes. not true. Yes, definitely. Do they, do they use it as a way to modify their mood? I Do they use it specifically to get buzzed up, high, aroused, excited, or do the exact opposite? How can you tell that one? How do you know so, that? Um, do, um, does the activity compromise... All their relationships and their work, their schoolwork, depending on what, what age they are. Um, have they built what we call tolerance over time? Have they started off playing 30 minutes a day and now, over time, they're now playing 8, 10, 12 hours a day? Um, does it, you know, if they, if they manage to, for instance, stop playing for two days, two weeks, two months, do they suddenly, when they start playing, go, go straight back into the long addictive cycles they were in before? Uh, and do they get withdrawal symptoms if they can't engage in activity? I'm talking about true withdrawal symptoms here. So things like nausea, hand sweats, stomach cramps, mm. the shakes. And on a, on a psychological level, extreme moodiness, irritability, frustration, etc. And, you know, for the vast majority of people, I mean, you could have endorsed some of those. In fact, a lot of people might say, oh, yeah, two or three of those. But for me, you have to have all six. Yeah things be, to be classed as truly addicted but can I just say there are some people out there that I would call problematic players in the sense mm. that it does impact negatively on some areas of their life but that doesn't mean that person is addicted and I say if you're a young person that's where you know parents can start to step in and actually try to limit screen time and again in our house screen time is the one thing that we can use as sanctions to get our children to do anything because yeah. none of my none of my three kids want me to say right you've got you know you're going to lose two hours of screen time tonight so we, we know know how important screen time is but we have to realize this is the way that our adolescents our children live their lives these days and as a, as a parent we try to be as responsible as as we can and also we want our, we want to do what our children uh, enjoy doing but of course sometimes their enjoyment you know, can actually tip over into them stopping doing things like education or physical education or interacting face to face with their peers i still believe in that traditional thing that we should have that face to face contact but we do have to realize is that social you know the way that particularly youngsters live their social lives these days, a lot of it is lived out online. And presumably the, the addiction thing, uh, rather like with certain substances, uh, affects some people differently than others. You know, oh, some people can drink alcohol and not become alcoholics. Some oh, people yeah. can presumably play video games and not become addicted, but others oh, will. I actually think that most people who play video games don't become addicted. But, yeah. there are, you know, there are, there are what we call predispositions within certain individuals. There are certain genetic and biological factors within some people that predispose them towards addiction tendencies. There are, you know, personality factors, emotional factors, and even obviously the social environment you're brought up, brought up in. I mean, if, if you're, a, if, for instance, if you're a, one of those strange mothers or fathers who th themselves are, are excessive video game players, don't be don't be surprised if your children copy your behaviour. Because we as parents are role models. I often say this about you know people using social media. When parents are constantly at the dinner table checking social media, don't be surprised if your kids are doing it as well. And you have yeah. to realise again as a responsible parent what you do 
your kids will mimic. So, yeah, you're right. There will be some people that are more what we call more susceptible or vulnerable. But again, I think, you know, I think all the scientific evidence shows that only a very small, and I really do mean a very small minority, have genuine addictions. A slightly bigger minority have what I would call problematic playing. But for the vast majority of people that play any kind of video game, it's a fun, exciting activity, as Fortnite is. And, you know, any of us who've got kids playing it know that they're really enjoying it. And it's something I would say is life-affirming and life-enhancing. But and again... Everything in moderation. I know it's a cliche, but that is absolutely <laughs> Well, it true. certainly is. I mean, the other thing, of course, is that you're quite right, I think, to say that we need to reassess how we view our children's lives because, as uh, I mean, I'm even older than you, I suspect, Mark, and, and you know, the, the amount of things that were available to me as, as entertainment devices, uh, you could count on the fingers of one finger. You know, basically, um, they now have a great variety of things at their disposal, which which is, is not abnormal, you know, and for them uh, to have a I phone and an iPad. Mind. And a, and, a, and a computer. I mean, I, I'm like you. I try and encourage them to get more into computing and actually, you know, coming up with their own games and devising their own things to do as well. And also, I think I've already seen signs that my two are kind of moving off what I would call, you know, peak Fortnite, and they're kind of starting already to play a different game. And so it all moves on, doesn't it? Of course, it's it's always evolving. And I mean, to be honest, you know, and I, I yeah, you know, I don't ca- even though I still play casual games myself now. I don't call myself a gamer. I mean, I think there are more things important in my life than call myself a gamer. But, you know, we've now got a generation of kids who were brought up where they've never known a world without the Internet. They've never known a world without mobile phones. They've never known a world without interactive television. This is how they, they live their lives. And parents, you know, there is what I would call this technological generation gap between some parents and their kids. I mean, there are some parents out there that are very tax. Uh, sorry, very tech savvy, and I'd probably include myself uh, among those. And, you know, we have a job to educate our, our children about this. And, uh, you know, our role is important. You know, teachers in schools, their role is important. Of course, again, if you ask teachers, they will tell you that, you know, mobile phones in class, whether people are gaming on it, social media, this is a big issue for them. And even though those kids and, you know, the vast majority are not certainly not addicted to those technologies, they are clearly, that screen time is taking away from the things yeah. that teachers believe are important in those contexts. And again, we have to start, you know, teaching children about digital literacy. They have to know about what, you know, it's not it's not just about the fact, yeah, we live our lives like this, but they, there have got to be rules and boundaries within certain things. And, you know, I mean, even when I, you know, I have to be honest, I hate it when I go to the cinema now because I'm just surrounded by people that are just constantly, even if it's on vibrate, I can see the lights coming through on the mobile phones. They may be gaming, they may be checking the social media. Mm-hmm. For me, the, these kind of, you know, kind of social etiquette where, um, you know, you're using your electronic devices, um, it becomes very annoying for some people, and for some yeah. other people it's just part and parcel, you know. And again, the one that really annoys me is, that I, you know, I go out with my family, for, you know, often go out with meals with my family, and when I see the other table and another family, there are five mobile devices, they're all looking at the mobile That's device. Right. Yeah. Not talking. Not talking. Yeah. No. So, I mean, that, I have to say that really annoys me. And it probably annoys me because, believe it or not, a couple of years ago, I gave up my mobile phone, OK? I'm one of those strange individuals. Mm. Now well, you haven't got don't, one. Don't actually have one. Really? Yep. Um, you know, and the thing is, of course, I'm, now, I'm, I'm even more acute to people who do have them around me. And, of course, in my house, we don't allow, screen, you know, we don't allow uh, uh, phones at the table. No, we didn't. I actually used to have a World Cup, Willie. It was a little... Um, <laughs> it was a little... Uh, well, listen, I know that's going to make the Perrier Awards. Um... But it was like a little thing. Uh, it was like a little monkey bear, I think he was. Um, and it was for the World Cup, I think, in you 19... You had a World Cup, Willie, that looked like Cup. a bear. 
Yes. Okay. 19... This is going from bad to worse. I know, I'm you know sorry. That. I'm sorry. 19... <laughs> I think it was 1974 World Cup, which I think was in Sounds Germany. Sounds quite 70s. Um, yeah, and it was on a sort of, it was like a little thing on a plinth, but it had a ball bearing so you could roll it around. I think you got it in a petrol station. Just stop now. Sorry. Okay. Just... Well, it would be easier if I talk about the coins I used to collect. <laughs> they used to do coins in petrol stations where you would get a book. With different yes, I remember the, them. Different members of the team on a coin. Yeah, and you'd you'd get the I coin every them. time you filled up the car with petrol, and you'd put the coin in the in the thing. Yeah, right. It's a much safer territory. That's we talk right. about stamps now. Yeah, we can talk about. I'll tell you what. It's a great yeah. story in the Times this morning. In the front page, it says uh, a study's been done in Ohio, uh, looking at uh, basically all the obituaries in the Des Moines Register over a period of time. Yeah, and they found out that anyone who mentions their religion actually lived longer. So basically, you get an extra six years if you're if you're more the more religious you are, the more likely that you will live six years longer but, before you head to the afterlife. Well, I was going to say it's hedging your bets, but of course it's not. If if it's actually making you live longer, that might be a bad thing because if you're so keen and so convinced that you're going to you know a better place, it's delaying you getting to the better place. Well, you may not know <laughs> it's a better place though. I mean, you may. Well, I they mean, they there believe. are any certain religions that believe it's a better place. I mean, I don't think Christians necessarily think that the afterlife is going to be better than the one you've got here. But if you're good, well, I no, think, well, yes, I think heaven, to, heaven is supposed to, hell, to be. Do you believe in heaven? No, 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 not, not at all. No, you're going to come have a bit of a shock coming for you then. I, but funnily <laughs> enough, I do believe in ghosts. What? Yeah, I do. So you believe in ghosts, right? So get this right. So you don't believe in. The afterlife. Yes. You don't believe in God. There's more evidence of ghosts than there is of the afterlife. How do you mean? Well, have you seen one? No, but um, I know people who have. And people well, who... Well, everybody knows people who have seen a ghost. No, but they're no. all mad. No, no. This is my, the, the two people that I know best yeah. who claim to have seen ghosts are probably the two most cynical, unhippy-dippy, crystal-believing okay. types. They're both male. Right. I mean, they're, and they're sort of... Men are notoriously superstitious, though, and useless at this kind of thing. I, I'm gonna t- another day, I'm going to tell you the full ghost story, but I'm going to save it up. Should we get some, like, tension music for Yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Because also, I've, I've upset so many people with my Gary Lineker toe story today. I don't <laughs> want to upset anybody else today. So, that, what, have these two independent people seen the same ghost? No. Different different locations, different ghosts, but neither of them expected it. Neither of them were drunk at the time. Um, And both of them were really affected by it and startled and and totally changed their opinions of whether. But how do you know it wasn't necessarily an evil spirit, like inspired by the devil? I've absolutely no idea whether it's a good ghost or a bad ghost. Well, if it scared them, it wasn't a good ghost, was it? No, no, scared them as in the the thought of of it happening Mm. and the thought that ghosts might be real and Ah. the thought that what they had always believed, being very, very sensible, cynical types Yeah, but hang on, that's all very well for them. That doesn't mean you should believe in them just because they do. No, but what I'm saying is I have had more evidence of ghosts than I have of the afterlife in that nobody I have ever met has been able to prove to me that God is is real, that God exists or that, you know, that there is any kind of afterlife. People I do respect have had limited evidence Mm. of ghosts, so therefore... I believe in ghosts more than Yeah, I, do I mean, God. I did a, when I was a very young journalist living in Bath still, uh, where I went to university, I did a little sort of mini series for a local paper on haunted pubs because in the West Country, you know, yeah. everything's very old and there's an awful lot of haunted, and Bath particularly is quite a haunted city, supposedly, yeah. because, for example, where, I don't know if you know it reasonably well. I know but a little bit, yeah. Do you know where the Abbey is? Yes. Um, if you walk through from the Abbey sort of towards where the main shopping street is, Milton Street, there's a yeah. um, there's a there's a sort of a courtyard area and there's a pub called the Crystal Palace. Right. And that's built, uh, supposedly, over an old um, monk's burial ground, right? 
And the people who ran the Crystal Palace pub, so this is how it started, came to me and said, you know, there's a ghost here. And I did this piece with them and they explained all the stuff that had happened, all this really weird stuff had happened in the pub that they couldn't explain, yeah. like things being moved. And I bet they were They'd never actually seen anything, right? But they swore blind to me that they had they had put something like a pot over there. Yeah, and so when they sort came, of poltergeist Yeah, type. sort of poltergeist type thing. And when they'd come back sort of the next morning or something, it had gone completely to another part of the pub yeah. where they hadn't put... And they knew they hadn't put it there. It wasn't, and it wasn't like somebody was playing a but trick so on them. But so many sensible people say that. And, they, you know, when, when I see programmes of, you know, the ghost chasers and the... You know, people who speak to you know dead people. You know, I take all of that with a bit of pinch, with a pinch of salt. But it's when perfectly ordinary people who have never ever shown any interest or belief mm. in ghosts before say, "I literally can't explain this." Well, you know, I think well, there's something in that. Right. My my former brother-in-law. I say former because he's no longer with us. Um, passed away a few years ago. He wrote a book about people who thought they'd been abducted by aliens. Right. And he was a very academic sort of guy. He was once nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, you know, wow. a very, very good author and all that. And he couldn't decide. After he'd interviewed all these people, he said, there's definitely some truth to what they're saying, but it's not clear whether it's something which is a kind of combined joint miasma that they're yeah. all suffering or whether they've all actually been abducted and taken to the same place because their descriptions of what happened are all very similar. I mean, if we're going to be on this subject, then I believe in aliens more than I believe in God. Because really? again, you know, science, proper sensible scientists say the chances of, like, I'm not talking about little green men, the chances of life on another yeah. planet are better than the chances of them not being Well, the there. chances of there being something out there are yeah. pretty, I, I would say, pretty strong. Yeah. The and idea so, that we're the only living organism... Pretty in, arrogant. In the, well, it's not only arrogant, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't make much sense, yeah. really. Because there's so much out there that we don't even know is there. So actually, I'm distilling my personal beliefs. I believe in aliens and ghosts, but not God. It's quite, I do see that's quite Well, I odd. think people will now take a view of you, which may be different from the one they had before. <laughs> I, I, you were formerly I, known as the economics editor of ITN. <laughs> now you're just another nutter. No, just, another, <laughs> just another nutter on talk radio. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the club. Finally, I've converted you. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.